Welcome to the FedSpeak podcast, brought to you by MI Market News. I'm Pedro da Costa, and joining me on today's episode is Dr. Enrique Martinez Garcia, a senior research economist and advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. His research interests are wide ranging and include international macroeconomics and finance, monetary economics, and applied econometrics. He's worked on issues like asset pricing, housing, portfolio allocation, trade, exchange rates, and a lot more. So thank you so much for joining me today on FedSpeak, Enrique. Thanks for having me, Pedro. My pleasure. Let's start with the latest piece of economic data that we have, which is kind of another confirmation of this very hot job market. I think the payrolls number has uh, exceeded Wall Street expectations for like a full year running every month. People keep saying that the, the labor market's about to crack and it never seems to do. What's, how would you describe the state of the labor market at the moment and how do you expect it to, to develop as the year progresses? So I guess uh, a couple of things come to mind on that. First of all is the, the, the fact that the, the best word I can think of to describe this is a very resilient labor market and a, a more resilient labor market than market participants had anticipated, that forecasters had anticipated, and that even the Fed itself had anticipated. So that in itself should give us pause. And, and one of the natural dichotomies that arises when, when you see things stronger in this case than you had anticipated is, are you misjudging uh, the amount of tightness, uh, monetary policy tightness that you are uh, bringing into uh, the economy? Or are we just not quite understanding correctly uh, what the transmission mechanism is in this post-pandemic economy. In other words, maybe what's happening is that labor markets are quite different now than they were prior to the pandemic. So previous historical experience is a guide, but not necessarily a very good guide about the long and variable lags with which monetary policy gets transmitted. Yeah. And I personally uh, tend to side on on the second hypothesis that it's it's mostly about uh, the very unique behavior that uh, labor markets have displayed since the pandemic. So one of the things, therefore, that I look, trying to go beyond these broad numbers uh, on the payrolls is things like uh, job openings. One of the major differences with respect to the historical record is that since the pandemic started to heal, uh, we've seen a, a very large number of job openings. And in fact, the number of unemployed relative to job openings has been and remains historically low. But one thing to note here, and this is one sign that labor markets might be resilient, but are starting to show signs of cooling off, is that the number of job openings peaked at the beginning of 2022, around 12 million is down in March, down to 9.6 million, if I recall correctly. So a significant decline in about a year. Another characteristic of the labor market during the pandemic is that there was such a rush for, for workers that the negotiating power was mostly on the worker side. So that showed up in a couple of dimensions at least. One is very robust wage growth, and that's a key factor driving the persistence inflation that we've seen in my mind. But the other dimension in which you actually show, uh, in which it showed is 
Well, the number of quits grew ostensibly large. The quit rate was historically large during the better part of the pandemic. And this is because a lot of workers found it easy to just quit and find a better job somewhere else. They were hopping from one job to a better job uh, somewhere else. And uh, the reality is the evidence has started to show that even the quit rates uh, has begun to decline significantly closer to the historical mean over the past year. So those signs and the fact that monetary policy remains tight, there is greater uncertainty coming from the financial side because of the additional pressures that comes uh, or that have arisen through the banking stresses post SVB, post uh, the collapse of uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And all of that makes me think that while gradual, the economy is on the path to a significant slowdown in the labor market and more generally in economic activity. The question is whether this slowdown will end up being the sort of soft landing that the Fed is trying to accomplish, or it will be a much harder hit for for the economy and for the labor market. And what kind of probabilities are you assigning to to either scenario, given the persistence of inflation and given this trouble that the monetary tightening seems to have had in actually reaching the, the crevices of this potentially newly structured labor market? Right. In environments like the one we are dealing with right now, which are in some respects similar to previous experience, but in many other respects quite different, based to uh, think of uh, the risk scenarios that you are facing. Yeah. And in my mind, what's key, uh, at least from the perspective of the central bank, is to what extent uh, the other side of the mandate, uh, inflation, turns out to be uh, much more stubborn and persistent uh, than the Fed is currently anticipated. If that uh, is, it turns out to be the case that uh, the inflation is indeed uh, stickier than than we are anticipating right now, and that requires monetary policy to become even tighter. Then the financial stresses, but also the hurt on the financial markets and and the uh, labor markets are are likely to be higher. And I would expect uh, the chances of a harder landing to be higher. Yeah. So one should hope for the best, which is I still think uh, the soft landing scenario is consistent with the current path of policy announced at the latest summary of economic uh, projections in March by the FOMC. But while I do think that's still the most likely scenario, there is non-trivial risk that things could become more difficult and more uh, challenging for the Fed to manage, especially if tighter monetary policy uh, becomes necessary. In other words, inflation just that fails to come down as the year as the year moves on and, and the Fed has to resume or continue or resume rate hikes depending on whether or not it pauses. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we are we are uh, going to get a bit more of a hint on uh, the inflation dynamics very soon with the CPI report this week coming out this week, If I had to point out things that I would be looking at in there, I would highlight two. 
when there is much talk about how the very robust growth in wages, which has continued, is, is still is, is not accelerating, but is still very high and, and, and quite persistent. And, and there has been much talk about how this is particularly relevant for sectors that are labor intensive, and in particular for industries in the service sector. Uh, that are heavily dependent on uh, on 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 labor and and the wage bill is going to be a very important part of their cost structure well if we are going to see a moderation in headline inflation consistent with the expectations of the central bank we should expect to start seeing signs of service inflation slowing down sooner rather than later otherwise just mechanically it's going to be difficult looking for signs of that would be important the other dimension that i think is somewhat is 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 noted but but maybe uh, uh, somewhat less appreciated is how important the housing market is for the evolution of inflation. Some of the key components driving uh, PCE inflation are uh, rents and owner-occupied rents. So it's very much tied to the expenditures that households devote uh, to to pay for rents or to compensate themselves for, for, for the rents on the buildings, apartments, houses they occupy. Labor markets have behaved very differently during the pandemic. Well, housing markets have been quite remarkable uh, during this episode uh, by most accounts. And I've, I've been on the record arguing that the boom that we have experienced has all the hallmarks of, of a bubble. And it, that has had significant effects driving housing rents up. So the cooling off of the housing market and the cooling off of housing rents is also going to be mechanically key for the Fed to achieve its stated goal of bringing inflation closer in line to its target by the end of the year or beginning of next year. Yeah. So those are things that I would be looking at very closely this week. That's really interesting. Well, housing is, I know housing is a key focus of your research, so let's stick to that. But Because part of it is determining whether or not... M- market rents are actually coming down. And the other part is figuring out what the lag is between what's actually happening in the housing market and how the CPI measures owner's equivalent rent, right? So could you talk about those two aspects? That's right. And uh, there is uh, this uh, saying that uh, monetary policy operates with long and variable lags. It's a very convenient uh, way of saying that there is a degree of uncertainty on what we know about how uh, much and how fast monetary policy impacts the economy in general. But this applies also to the housing market in particular. Some of the work that has been done here at the Dallas Fed by some of my colleagues suggest that the lag in the transmission of monetary policy into prices and from prices into housing rents might take as much as of a year. So we should expect housing rents to remain strong and start declining by the second half of this year. And that would still be consistent with the type of moderation in headline inflation that the Fed is currently anticipated. Currently, as of the summary of economic projections of March, we will get an update on those views, I think, in in the June summary of economic projections. But it takes time. And the reality is housing markets are uh, fragile as well. We've experienced a very large run-up in house prices. And if you take stock of uh, some of the data that uh, we have on uh, uh, futures about the evolution of the housing market. The expectation is that 
uh, we might see a much larger correction in house prices than what has already happened since March of last year. So we would expect our futures markets are pricing uh, as much as a 15% nominal decline, closer to 20% in real terms, and uh, very much growth that don't go above that of inflation once the, the, the market hits bottom, which currently might be expected to happen around the beginning of 2025. Mm-hmm. So the transmission of monetary policy into housing and housing prices have been very fast. Tightening started in March. We already started seeing declines at a national level in June uh, of 2022. And we have accumulated already more than a 6% decline in real terms. So very large declines of that sort are uh, not necessarily going to happen equally across the nation. They are going to hit some parts of the country harder than others. And you would not be surprised if I, perhaps if I tell you that the West Coast and some parts of the East Coast seem to be expected to fare worse. Yeah. And the Southeastern part of the country, that has to do also with the uh, different drivers of the price appreciation in, in those areas. There is a lot more migration to the Southeastern part uh, of the US driving prices up. But the reality is without a correction of that magnitude, It seems hard to believe that markets can continue at the levels they reach. They have been historically very expensive relative to income. And now we are facing interest rates that we've not seen in a generation since before uh, the global financial crisis. So that's a very complicated mix for your average household to go in and buy a house. So it's very hard to uh, imagine that without a significant correction, you are not going to see a firming up of the housing market. And a significant correction has the negative consequence that, well, housing is one of the largest assets in the portfolio of most households. So it's a big hit to household wealth. There are different estimates of that, but that could be another factor dragging consumption going forward. It might take time for that to operate, but it can be another drag on economic activity for the foreseeable future, at least for the short to medium term. It's a big driver of employment as well, right? If you look at all the ripples and all the associated sectors, not just construction. But I wonder, it, it really sounds like between a rock and a hard place. And, and, and on the one hand, you could get a house, a double digit house price crash that, that maybe they takes care of inflation. But then if you don't get that crash, then maybe inflation remains a little more stubborn than you'd like it to be. Yeah, that's right. That's sort of, in, in essence, the, the dilemma. Policymakers in general are aware of the many risks that the U.S. economy faces and the vulnerabilities. One that I have highlighted in particular is in this conversation is, is housing. And much of what happens depends on, on choosing the right path of monetary policy, so to speak. If you are able to achieve a quick slowdown in in inflation that brings it back in line to levels consistent with the central bank's target without raising rates more than what is currently anticipated. Maybe it's possible to anticipate a weakening of the labor market, below trend growth, maybe even a mild recession, and um, significant but manageable correction in housing markets, at least at a national level. But the risk is that we might be underestimating those effects on the housing market. It might be that the hit is going to be harder than we are currently anticipated. We are just not seeing it yet because it's 
the, the monetary policy tightness is still working through the decision-making process of, of agents and is working through its impact. And we will not know probably which scenario we are in until it is a bit too late. In circumstances like this, we might have an idea of some of the key vulnerabilities of the U.S. economy. But the best strategy, I would argue, is to give yourself some breathing room in case you have to adjust because your main scenario turns out to not be uh, the one that materializes and uh, worse things end up end up happening. One way of doing that, and this is sort of the rationale for why when uh, the Fed decided to move fast, it moved fast so aggressively, is by is because it, the thought was by front loading monetary policy action. Now we will be able to quell inflation quickly and don't have to rise or to increase rates as much as if we try to do this more gradually, and inflation expectations start to become an anchor. Uh, people start to get accustomed to higher levels of inflation and start negotiating wages or wage increases uh, on the basis of the expectation that we are in a regime of higher inflation than in the past. Hopefully, that works out, but it's not without risk. Certainly, the Fed is very aware of, of, of those, I think, and is very mindful that at this point, much of what happens will have to be determined by what the data is telling us about the impacts of monetary policy, the impacts that monetary policy is having, and how fast and quickly we are achieving the goal of bringing inflation down. Yeah, no, this is this is so interesting that I have multiple follow-ups. Speaking of the lags, what is your view on the the lagged effects? Like, where are we on the lagged effects of monetary policy on inflation? How much of the inflation decline we've seen to date is attributable to policy tightening as opposed to just kind of supply chain, energy prices falling, and dumb luck? That's a very good question, actually. And uh, it's not that there is a very precise answer for this, but let me try to give you a, a framework uh, to, to think about it. The way I see there has been a number of factors uh, since the pandemic that have contributed have contributed as a temporary sources of, of inflation to push inflation up. Economists in general would talk about these as cost push shocks. So these are the types of shocks that you would expect when, uh, for instance, energy prices go up very, very fast. This can be uh, a temporary uh, shock, but nonetheless, it has the consequence of making your products more expensive. So it uh, lowers economic activity overall and makes your prices higher. So inflation goes up. The big lesson that policymakers learn from the 60s and 70s is that if you let those cost push shocks, those pressures and supply chain disruptions play similar, a similar role uh, over the past few years, if you let uh, uh, those go um, without uh, responding or reacting to it, you run the risk that while temporary, they might be persistent enough that they start uh, changing uh, the way agents react to inflation. In other words, that they start affecting the way agents form expectations about future inflation. They start anticipating that future inflation is going to be higher because these prices are so high now. And when 
in particular, long-run inflation expectations starts to become an anchor when wage negotiations start to assume that maybe I need to ask for at least 4% because inflation is going to be persistently high at that level, not at the 2% that was in the past. Then you get yourself in trouble, breaking the back of those unanchored inflation expectations and bringing them back in line with the expectations of the central bank is or the target of 2% that the central bank has is hard, as the experience of Volcker showed us. And we are sort of building on the credibility that Volcker built in the 80s. Uh, certainly, most central bankers in the US, and I would say internationally, don't want to lose that uh, reputational capital. What I'm saying with this, however, is I don't think there is evidence as of yet that long-term inflation expectations have become an anchor. It's true that we have to be very cautious because by the time we actually see that evidence, it might be already too late. So we have to be proactive in that sense. Some of the things that are aiding the Fed in the short run is that the same type of cost, temporary cost push shocks that sort of trigger the initial spikes on inflation or, or help uh, boost inflation early on are receding. So that's making it easier. Now, the big challenge is what happens with really wage growth. Can we slow down or, or can, uh, can we expect wage growth to slow down to levels that would be more sustainable or more consistent with the, with the inflation rate that the central bank is targeting? And the reality is that the evidence is more mixed there. It has been much slower to, to happen. Growth rate by most measures remains very high, stubbornly high, and without very clear signs of, of a slowing down as of yet. And that's one of the things that concerns me, that the strength of the labor market that uh, we were talking about uh, just a few minutes earlier in one of your uh, initial questions is actually one of the key uh, factors altering the trade-offs that that monetary policy is facing right now. And what I'm concerned really is that that poses a challenge for monetary policy going forward because it's a slowing down uh, or, or is contributing to this very persistent inflation dynamics. It's challenging for the Fed to, to the point that policymakers might have to consider whether the current path is sufficient to keep inflation uh, on track. So the risk, in other words, to put a fine point on it, the risk is non-trivial that uh, that inflation will either settle at these levels or re-accelerate later this year. That's right. That's a very fair uh, assessment. And that's okay. what I'm most concerned about, even with the help of uh, the abating temporary factors that, that we've talked about. Even with those things happening, the risk remains that this very persistent inflation bout might turn out to become um, much more of a long-term problem. And that's really what the Fed would want to avoid at all costs. Absolutely. The other, side, the other side of the coin, and we've briefly touched this, is there is a point at which financial markets and the financial system in general starts to show signs of stress. And we've had a warning sign of that uh, since the collapse of uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Absolutely. And that that is a risk that cannot be ignored. That's the perfect transition to my last couple of questions, which is we've, we've focused on the upside risks perhaps. And now we, if I could ask you a little bit about the downside risks, so some of the rationale behind the, the terminal rate, we're talking about a terminal rate of 6%. 
And of course, the SCP for March came out the day after Credit Suisse was bailed out. It was just a couple of weeks or a week after the SVB debacle. So the, the expectations were depressed by the sense of crisis that was hitting at the time. I just wonder how much how much the further deterioration you expect in either in either the banking situation or in the shadow banks and what pockets of fragility are you watching? I mean, there are lots of things to keep an eye on, like uh, commercial real estate is an obvious one that everybody is is looking at. I would highlight the importance of housing for how central it is to the finances uh, of, of many households in the country. There are other risks that could emerge that were uh, perhaps easier to spot, but flew under the radar. And uh, uh, the liquidity concerns on the banking system are the most obvious one. But the reality is that quite often we will get surprised. One of the rationales, and this is why I insist in terms of risk management, one of the rationales for trying to react as quickly and as forcefully as possible to the bout of inflation once the decision was made to start tightening is precisely to avoid having to raise rates higher if we took a more gradual approach that allow this persistence on inflation to build on itself and, uh, uh, and lead to an anchoring of inflation expectations. I think to some extent, the fact has been successful at that, but it needs to remain very focused on it because the dangers in the long run of not doing so is, well, the anchoring of inflation expectations. But in the short run, you might actually have to increase rates more than currently uh, the Fed anticipates through the summary of economic projections. And some of those cracks that we are not seeing in the financial system will start to show. You uh, want to be very careful to to avoid that if possible. That's really helpful. We're going to leave it there for today, but that was really interesting conversation. I learned a lot and I know our listeners will as well. That was Dr. Enrique Martinez Garcia from the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank. Thank you again for coming on FedSpeak. Much appreciated, Pedro. Thanks for having me.